syllables unknown, I ran. Pushing my way through branches, a forest of bodies, suffocating desperation, I stretched. Fear takes hold, the crowd closing in. What will I see? What will I miss? I stretched. The road built to fabric and palm makes way for eternity's stroll. This moment is passing by. I stretched. I saw him, eyes alight with fire, an inevitable collision foretold by wide-eyed storytellers reverberating through generations. A moment in time is kingship. So churches, it's Easter, it's, it's Easter season. Can, can you imagine the commotion around Easter season? This is what I thought we would do. I thought then instead of just jumping right into the scripture, I'd kind of set the scene for us. I, I think a lot of times what we can do, anybody like me, you, you read the Bible and you're like, oh, that was a cool story. Let's go on to the next. And, and you don't necessarily read between the lines. So, so today I thought we would read between the lines a little bit. I thought we'd kind of see what was going on. And could you imagine what it would have been like on what we now call Palm Sunday in Jerusalem? Could, could you imagine the crowd? So I'm going to ask you to use your imagination a little bit today. Everyone would have been going to Jerusalem for Passover. Cor, you studied, you studied Passover just a little bit, right? Probably, probably just a little bit more than anybody else in the room. I, I, remember, I remember living uh, in Jerusalem. I was there uh, for some study abroad for school, and I remember the crowds around Easter. When, when people say every room is full, literally every room is full, I remember walking the Via Della Rosa, and we were so tight that as you took a step, you were literally shoulder to shoulder with someone. Who's got claustrophobia in the room? That's your worst nightmare. I was like ready to throw bows. Like I'm like I'm like I got big shoulders. Like I'm gonna like don't don't be on don't be on top of me. But imagine imagine the scene. According to a few scholars, during this time, originally about thirty thousand people would have been in the area. But during Passover, an additional hundred and fifty thousand people made their way to Jerusalem. Now now let me put that into our context. Anybody want to take a guess at how many people live in Huntersville? This is where you talk back. Remember, we were a talking church? Y'all make some noise. Nobody wants to be wrong. Let me tell you, 56,000 people live in Huntersville. In Mooresville, 38,000 people. In Cornelius, 30,000. Anybody want to guess? Davidson, how many people? 20,000? No, 13,000 people live in Davidson, right? So, so in total, 137,000 people. Now, let, let's talk about the landmass for a second. Lake Norman by itself has a landmass of 86 miles square. Not to be confused with 86 square miles. Anybody know the difference? All the math people are like, I do. Everybody else is like, no, don't pick, don't pick me. I don't, I don't know the difference. But the landmass in Jerusalem was 48.3 miles square. So, so put this into perspective. In Jerusalem during Passover at the time of Jesus, there were more people and less space than we have in Lake Norman. And we complain about going to Chick-fil-A during lunchtime. <laughs> right? By, by the way, I, I have to pick a bone with Chick-fil-A. All right, like I love the double drive through thing, 
Like, I, I love that. This is, has nothing to do with the notes. Not in here at all, but this is me venting, all right? Like, that's cool. Do the double drive-through thing. Have your little rows and have your cones. Just tell me where to enter. Like, put up a sign that says, enter here. Like, Chick-fil-A, get your stuff together. Like, I, was, I had to drive around. I was in Virginia this past week. I had to drive around Chick-fil-A three times to, like, try to find where I pull in just to go to Chick-fil-A. Like, the experience was great out, outside of that. But they're, but they're all there for the Passover. Let me give you a little context. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you haven't been in a while. Maybe you're like, I don't really know what the Passover is. Can you explain it to me? Absolutely. So remember back to our freedom series. And we talked, the, we talked about the Israelites in captivity in, in Egypt. And the 10th plague was the Passover. God told Moses, remember the story, God told Moses to put the blood of the lamb overneath or above the door. And every door that had blood above it, the death angel would pass over. If there was not blood above the door, then the firstborn would be taken. Remember the story. So, so what happens? The death angel passes over. All of Israel is protected. And then after the 10th plague, the Israelites walk out of Egypt. 400 years of oppression. 400 years of captivity. 400 years of slavery. And now... They're free. So put that again into our context. That's like their 4th of July. It's their Independence Day. So they're supposed to be celebrating. Now let's think about the neighboring town. So you have Jerusalem. Everybody's making their way to Jerusalem. But what about the neighboring towns? You have Bethany and Bethpage. Bethany had a couple hundred people and Bethpage was next door about the same size. Now, if you think about the story... I'd have probably been those people, and I'd have probably been a little upset. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about when there's a party in your neighborhood, and people park absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Amen. Like, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Now, here's, like, full disclosure, we do it as a church all the time because we, <laughs> we take over neighborhoods, right, like, like, we, like we do. I remember we're Sam. Sam, I remember Christine's uh, birthday party. We took over the neighborhood. Like there was no, there was nowhere to park. We parked all down the road. Anytime we go to Justin and Brittany's house, we take over the neighborhood. Mason, we had our youth event. There was nowhere to park. People were mad. Like we'll, we throw parties at our house and, and people park. People park absolutely everywhere. I'm cool with you parking everywhere, but don't park in my parking spot. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't block my driveway. Anybody ever had somebody throw a party in their neighborhood and you can't get into your driveway? I get frustrated. Uh, we had some friends come over. A couple weeks ago, and they said, Zach, you don't know how to park. Like, you're not in your parking spot. Like, you're like halfway in between it. Why do you do that? I said, because I don't want anybody parking next to me. Because here's the problem. If, if you park in a certain parking spot at our house, you literally can't open up our gate to get in the door. So we have people park in that parking spot. And I'm like, I can't even go inside now. I got to walk all the way around. I'm going to get my shoes dirty. Like, what's, what's the deal with that? So, so don't, park, don't park in my parking spot. But I imagine that's what Bethany and Beth Page were like. So let me lay the land a little more for you. Across the valley, so you have Bethany and Bethpage. And you have this valley, and then you have Jerusalem. But where, where Bethany and Bethpage would have sat would have been on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. Now this is where Jesus would have made his triumphal entry from. This was, this was the start of the journey. And undoubtedly, one thing that every Jew coming across the mountain would have seen would have been the temple. Alfred Edersheim writes this about the temple. He says, in all his wanderings, the Jew had not seen a city 
like his own Jerusalem. Nor has there been either in ancient or modern times a sacred building equal to the temple, whether for a situation or magnificence, nor yet have there been festive throngs like those who with their hymns of praise crowded toward the city on the eve of Passover. So so in no short account, this was one of the wonders of the world. Could you imagine seeing a building that you had never seen before? Something so massive, so much noise coming from it that all you could do was stare at the temple as you made your way down the Mount of Olives across the valley into Jerusalem. Now, now here's the reality. The temple should have represented worship. It should have represented that the Israelites were God's people. The temple should have represented the Ark of the Covenant. The temple should have represented the cloud of glory that was falling on God's people. It should have represented peace. Corey, it should have represented shalom. It should have represented life. But it didn't. The temple was actually dead. It was a ritual at best and religion at worst. See, the temple was taken over by Pharisees. And Sadducees, it was, there was corruption. And there was actually a power struggle to see who would be in charge. I wonder how the modern church stacks up against the biblical temple. I wonder when we think about what the church should be and what the church is, are we far from what the temple is? We want to look back and go, man, y'all didn't have it figured out. And then we look at ourselves, sometimes we don't have it, we don't have it figured out. Say it again for the people in the back. Yeah, listen, if y'all start talking to me, I'm going to talk back, all right? <laughs> Jer- Jerusalem during Passover would have almost been this cruel irony. Here are the Israelites celebrating Passover. They should have been celebrating their freedom from Egypt. But what was it in the shadow of? It was actually in the shadow of Herod's palace. What did Herod's palace represent? It represented an oppressive political system. It was actually a symbol mocking that God wasn't in charge that Rome was. Think about the cruel irony. The older generation was probably sitting back looking at their country going, I don't even know where I live anymore. Am I talking about the Bible or I'm going to pass on? (laughs) Passover was a celebration That should have represented freedom, but it became a reminder of living between a dead religion and corrupt politics. Again, I wonder how far the modern church has come, or have we? We've become disillusioned with religion and disillusioned with politics, but but let me move on and get back to Bethany and Bethpage. So you have the two cities. Who lived in Bethany? Remember the stories of Scripture. It was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were some of Jesus' closest friends. And Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. And then you have this guy named Jesus. He's walking around proclaiming this good news. He's walking around healing people. He's literally raising people from the dead. He's teaching counterculture. And he's feeding the masses. Remember, Jesus fed 5,000 with bread and fish, but he says, I'm also feeding them with my word. So now that we have the scene set, now that we understand the lay of the land, let's pick up in Matthew 
chapter 21. I'm going to read a ton of scripture here, but I want us to, to dive in to see what's really going on. Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If not, we have it on the screens. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead, go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you, he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So the two disciples did what Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt with them, and they threw their garments over the colts, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them along the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. Luke 19 actually gives us a story of this account in verse 39. And he writes, But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said this, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And Jesus replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Picking up in Matthew 21.10, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So here's, here's the one question that I have to ask everyone in the room. Here's the one question that we have to ask ourselves: When the king is revealed, what will your response be? Because we all can find ourselves in this story. There's a ton of different characters. And if we just read the story, we'll move on. But what would it look like for us to pause and take a look at everything at play? So, so the first group that we see, we see the Pharisees. And the Pharisees followed a political Alliance. See, the Pharisees chose political power over following Jesus. These were individuals that were supposed to be leaders in the community. And when we choose a Pharisaical spirit, we abdicate our position of royalty and forfeit our spiritual authority just to play politics with Rome. That's what they were. They forfeited their spiritual authority to play politics to sit on a throne of straw that would eventually be wiped away. Too many people consider playing politics for a paycheck and for a title, opposed to following Jesus. We serve a greater kingdom and we serve a higher king. The second thing that we see at play is this. We see the city. And the city followed the controversy. Verse 10, the entire city of Jerusalem was in what? They were in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. There, there's a lot of uproar people in today's society. There's a lot of people that just want to follow the controversy. There, there's a lot 
people that have an opinion about everything. Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Do I vote blue? Do I vote red? They have an opinion on what you should do about absolutely everything. They want to follow the controversy because if they attach their name to the controversy, maybe they'll get a higher status. Maybe they'll get a higher title. They just followed the controversy. And then we have the crowds. Two different groups. The crowds followed a gospel of convenience. Let me show you, let me show you what I mean. They were excited about Jesus as long as he did what they wanted him to do. Hey, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you feed me. Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you're healing people. Jesus, I'm going to follow you as long as you don't ask too much from me. Jesus, I'll follow you as long as it's convenient. I'll follow you as long as it's popular. As long as the majority's doing it, that's what I'll do. But as soon as social media tells me to do something else, I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know if I can fully follow everything that you teach. The same crowds that were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, were the exact same crowds that were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They were following what was convenient. People who follow Jesus, as long as it's convenient or as long as it's popular, maybe it's popular to follow Jesus in, your, in the youth group setting. But, but when you get to school, you're like, ah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can follow Jesus. Or when I was in college, I, I was a part of I was a part of Christian ministries, but when I got into the real world, I couldn't I couldn't talk about Jesus anymore. I'll, I'll talk to someone about my spiritual life on a Sunday morning, but but no, I can't I can't do it at the gym. I, I can't talk to somebody about Jesus at, at the gym. What what would they what would they think about? They might not want to be my lifting partner anymore. I can't talk to someone about Jesus at my, my place of business because, because that's, that's my paycheck and, and my paycheck's my security, not Jesus. What, what, what would it look like if we carry Jesus everywhere? Now, 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 we, now I've been stepping on your toes a little bit. Let me get to the good part of the story. All right? <laughs> Who do we have next? We have, we have the two disciples. We have the two disciples. And their response is, whatever Jesus asks me to do, I'm all in. Whatever Jesus asks me to do, let's read the scripture. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. By the way, first, first time ever that I saw that it was a, a donkey and a colt. Anybody else? It was two, not just one. And I'm a pastor. I fail. Like, <laughs> Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks... What are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs them. What? And he will immediately let you take them. Like, Pastor, why are you laughing? It's because Jesus told him to steal something. Like, like I think it'd be kind of cool. Like, Jesus, you sure? What about some bubble gum? Can we get some, can we get some bubble gum? Anybody ever stole anything? Don't raise your hand. I was just kidding. <laughs> hey, Jesus loves you. He forgives you. Like, leave it there. All right. I don't think I've ever stole anything. Some bubble gum. I've always wanted to steal something. Like, let me be honest with you. <laughs> Come on, don't act like you haven't wanted to. Like, I, th I think there's like a title of that. What's that called? Anybody? I don't know. <laughs> Some, you don't want to tell me what it's called because you're like, that's me too. Like, I don't, like pyro is burning something. Like pyromaniac is burning something. Some people want to steal something. Klepto, you want to steal too. See, I got you. 
I knew what it was called. I was just trying to, I didn't want to be the one that said it. But, but the disciples still had an option. They, they could have said something along the lines of, Jesus, why would we go get a colt? Jesus, why would we go get a donkey? Because we've never used a donkey before. It's been three years and we've been walking everywhere. Why can't we just walk into Jerusalem? Why do we, why do we, need, why do we need the colt? Or maybe they could have said something like this. Hey, Jesus, we're really good with boats. Like, we fish. We're really good with boats. Can we go get a boat? Can we ride it on a boat? I mean, you've done this, like, walking on water thing. Can we do that? Like, why do, why do we have to get, why do we have to go get a colt? But it wasn't just a colt. It was a colt that had never been ridden before. What if God wants to do something so unique through you that you reach an entire city? What if, what if your idea about reaching this community isn't a crazy idea, but it's actually a God idea. Listen, I think there's people in this room that have something that they seem like it's so crazy inside of them and that they're scared to step out. They're scared to do it because they think it's crazy and not, not from God. M- maybe you're called to do local outreach. And, and, and may, maybe you're saying, I, I feel like God's just calling me to walk around and, and talk, talk to people and and you don't because because you get a little nervous. Ryan, I didn't ask you if I could share the story, but I'm a, is it okay if I share the story? Sure. Okay, you gave me a thumbs up. All right. Ryan texted me. Ryan texted me a couple weeks ago. He said, "Hey, Zach, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go walk around our our community. I'm just gonna walk around and pray, and I'm just gonna pop into businesses and, and talk to them to see how we can how we can serve them." From the outside looking in, it's a crazy idea. Do you know the society we live in? You sure you want to go knocking on doors? You sure you just want to walk in? Absolutely. I just feel like God's calling me to walk around. What if God is birthing something inside of you that would absolutely change an entire city? I'm not here to play church. I'm here to reach the lost by any means necessary. I don't care what the idea is. Cammy, I didn't uh, tell you I was going to share this story. Because uh, I wasn't planning on you being here. You were supposed to be in Bristol. It got rained out. But I'm going to share the story anyway. Is that all right? Cool? All right. <laughs> if you're not here, I share the story. If you're here, I have to ask for permission. A <laughs> couple, couple weeks ago, Cami and, and Maria and myself, we sat down at, at Good Drip Coffee. And, and we just started talking. And the reason, the reason we started talking is because these two ladies are, are involved in racing. Cammie travels. She's a part of a ministry. You said you're flying out today to go back to Bristol. Maria is in California. She had a race last night. And, and they sat down with me and said, Zach, listen, we, we love the church. And we love being a part, we love being a part of Sunday. We, we love what's going on. The reality is during race season, it, it's hard for us to get here. D- during race season, like we're, we're, we're gone most of the year on Sundays. Maria's going to be gone 26 Sundays for the rest of the year. But she's like, I, I, that means I love Jesus. I, I, it's not that I want to get away from the church. And I said, okay, what, well, what, can, we, what can we do about it? They kind of looked at me and said, hey, what if we, what if we start a, a Monday night service? I said, all right, so what, what does that look like? And they just started to talk, and they started to dream. And I started asking questions. And maybe you're sitting there going, well, well, pastor, it's Monday. We do church on Sundays. Well, well yeah, the disciples had a walking ministry, not a cult ministry. Jesus said, go get the colt. Well, pastor, don't you know that other churches in the area are shutting down their Monday service because because people aren't uh, attending it that that well? Listen, we don't do it for the masses. We do it for the one. I don't care care if 100 people show up or one person shows up. If I can talk to one person about Jesus, then it's worth doing. 
So, so what would it look like for us to continue to dream and talk about a Monday night service? What would it look for, like for us to do something just a little different? And, and then, and then we, have, we have the owner of the cult. We have the owner of the cult. Y'all ever thought about the owner of the cult before? I haven't. I'm sitting here reading this story, and I'm like, all right, the owner of the cult. And essentially, what I feel like he says is, Jesus, whatever you need from me, it's yours. I say, well, pastor, how do, you, how do you get that? Well, verse 3 says, if anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he'll immediately let you take them. I'm like, all right, I wouldn't have been a good owner of the donkey because you try to take something from my backyard, I'm chasing your tail down. I'm going to tackle you. And as I'm looking at you, if you say the Lord needs it, you better pray to the good Lord in heaven that the skies part and he talks to me himself. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. These people thought I was being serious. Partly am. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I kind of wish somebody would steal something from me because I just want to chase somebody and tackle them. Like, I miss playing football. You know what I'm saying? Like, I miss, miss tackling people. But, but why... Why is he not chasing the two disciples down? Why Read between the lines. Why is he not chasing them down? Why could Jesus say with confidence, hey, just tell them that I need it. I mean, maybe we'll bring it back. What happened to the donkey? Like nobody knows what happened to the donkey. I just kind of, when I get to heaven, hey, dude, where the colt though? I got his, did he walk back? Like, it was like a dog. Like he knows how to go back home. But, but what happened? What happened to the owner of, the donkey. Remember where it was. I told you, places and people matter. It was in Bethany. I told you that only about 200 people lived in Bethany. But what happened in Bethany is where Jesus healed Lazarus. Who did I say lived there? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They lived there. In fact, they were some of Jesus' closest friends. They did ministry with Jesus the three years that he was walking around. I wonder if the owner of the cult saw Lazarus raised from the dead. I wonder if the owner of the cult had a conversation with Jesus. I wonder if his conversation sounded something along the lines of, Jesus, whatever you need, it's already yours. Jesus, I've seen, I've seen what you can do. Whatever you need, it's already yours. What if the owner of the cult had already said yes to Jesus? Let me ask you this question. Does Jesus need to negotiate with you to get what he needs from you? Or is it already his? Maybe you have, maybe you have a talent. Maybe you're like, man, I can sing, but I ain't about to get up and I ain't about to get up in front of Je- or in front of th- these people. I'll sing in front of Jesus, but I ain't getting up here in front of these people. Well, <laughs> you try to negotiate, try to negotiate with Jesus a little bit. Maybe you can play an instrument. Maybe, maybe you're good with media. Maybe you're good with kids, and you're like, nah, I'm not. Uh, God, not now. Jesus, nah, maybe, maybe next year. Maybe next year. I've only been coming to this church for about six months. Maybe when I've been here for three years. Maybe then, maybe then I'll give them my, my talent. Is it okay to step on some toes? Do I have permission? Do you have to negotiate with Jesus about your tithe? Do you actually give 10%? Or is it, oh, I can't, can I not, okay, I won't go there. there. I can preach the whole Bible, not just the parts that make me feel good. What are you holding on to? I wonder, I wonder this. 
if you're holding on to your cult, is keeping Jesus from revealing himself to someone else. What if the owner would have said, hey, I need this one? What if the owner would have said, ah, can you go use somebody else's? What if the owner would have said, hey, can, can I just, can I keep it today and I'll, I'll, bring it, I'll bring it tomorrow? I got some work that I need to do at my house. I, I need to ride it. I, I need to use the cult for something that, that I need. What are you holding on to that's keeping someone from Jesus? You're like, oh, well that, don't just nod your head. Think about it for a second. So, so Zach, are, are you saying that Jesus is limited? Are you saying that, that Jesus is limited by, by what I do? Well, the answer to me is no and yes. You're like, all right, time to leave this church. Jesus is limited. Time to go. <laughs> Listen to me for a second. No, Jesus is not limited. He's omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. But he has chosen to limit himself in some cases to the level of our obedience. Are you being obedient with what God has placed in your hands? What are we holding on to? And then we have the cult. Then we have the cult. And the cult says this, I just want to carry Jesus. I I just want to carry Jesus. I, I don't care if people know me. I don't care if people recognize me. I don't even care if people talk about me. I don't care if people understand me. I don't care if people know where I went after I dropped Jesus off. He's like, I don't, I don't care. I'm just, I just want to carry Jesus. I just want to carry Jesus. Is the way you're living your life drawing more attention to you or drawing more attention to Jesus? Is the way that you're living your life so that you can gain title or status or is the way that you're living your life drawing people closer to the creator of the universe? Where are you in the story? There's no doubt that we can find ourselves in this story, but where are we? We have the temple. It's a representation of this dead and oppressive religion. We have Herod's palace. It's a representation of corrupt politics. And then we have our players. We have the Pharisees. They're playing politics for recognition and power. We have the city, and they just follow the uproar. And then we have the crowds. They just follow what's convenient. And then we have the disciples, but they, they choose to trust Jesus' direction. We have the cult's owner. And he chose not to negotiate with Jesus. He said, Jesus, whatever I have, it's yours. And then we have the cult. And the cult says, I just want to carry Jesus. As we step back into worship, let me ask you this question. What will you do with the one who claims to be the one true king? Let's stand just for a moment. Promise of new life. 
still a king and he's still coming so with every head bowed and every eye closed this time when Jesus comes back he won't be riding on a colt this time when Jesus comes back scripture says that he's going to come in riding on a white horse I'm not going to use this as a scare tactic but I, I do believe in being raw and I do believe in being real and I do believe in just ask, asking the question plainly. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're in here, maybe you're in overflow. Here's the question. Do you actually have a relationship with Jesus or have you just been playing church? Do, do you actually have a relationship with Jesus or have you just been checking the boxes? I think there's two groups in the room. I think there's one group that says, you know what? I, I really, I really never thought about it. I, I've never, I've never thought about it. And you're starting to ask yourself questions now. I would say you're closer to knowing who Jesus is when you're asking questions than ever before. Church, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. And I think there's another group. I think the other group is saying, I really want to follow Jesus more sincerely. If someone asked me casually, I think I would say that I'm a Christian. But I really haven't dove into a relationship with Jesus. So Zach, what are you talking about this relationship thing? It's kind of like dating someone. The problem is, the problem is we've been on those dates where it's like at the end of the first date, you think you know everything about the person and then you get to the second date and you're like, this is, this is kind of boring. I don't like this person anymore. But that's not the way that it is with Jesus. The, the way that it is with Jesus is we begin to learn who he is on a deeper, more intimate level day after day after day. So if you're in one of those two groups, maybe you're saying this for the first time and you're committing your life to Jesus for the first time. Or you're saying, Zach, I need to rededicate my life here and now. It's time for me to get serious. It's time for me to stop playing church. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands all across the room, even in overflow. Why am I going to ask you to lift your hands? Not to embarrass you, not to call you up front. But it's a sign for you to say, I'm committed. It's a sign for you to say, I'm all in. And after we raise our hands, we're going to say a prayer collectively together. So all across this room, saying, Pastor, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the city. I don't want to just follow the uproar. I don't want to be the crowd. I don't want to just follow what's convenient. I want to give Jesus my entire life all across this room on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Saying, Pastor, I just want to recommit my life. Or you're saying, Pastor, that's me for the very first time you can put those hands back down and then let's say this prayer together could we say Jesus come into my life forgive me of my sins help me to live wide awake to your love and fully alive to my purpose 
and it's in your name I pray. Amen and amen. I wish somebody would celebrate the people that just rose from hands because heaven just got a little fuller in the moment. Now let's continue to worship one more time today.